He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Although, he's had a four and two threes on this hole. He's going to be at least three shots ahead. Welcome to Bros and Birdies. It's Ryder Cup week. And yes, we've got so much to talk about and go through. But first, before we get Big Bro in, how about an Italian-themed joke? When in Rome. Two Italian men get on a bus one day. As they sit down, they become engaged in an animated conversation, hands everywhere. The woman sitting behind them ignores them at first, but then she starts to listen intently when she hears one of their men saying the following. Emma come first, then I come, then two asses come together. I come once a more, two asses, they come together. I come again and pee twice, then I come again one last time. You foul mouth swine, said the woman indignantly. In this country, we don't talk about our sex lives in public. Hey, cool her down, a lady, said the man. Who are talking about a sexer? I am just telling my friend how to spell a Mississippi. Hello, bro. How are you doing? It's Ryder Cup week. We're here. Well, we're not. Oh. We're here. We're not in Rome, but we're here. It's the week. Oh, I wish I was in Rome. Oh, sitting with a lovely pizza. No pineapple on top. <laughs> no Cold ketchup pasta. near it, neither. Ooh, yeah. Oh, a yeah. bit of that. And a nice bit of Brunel de Montalcino, even though it's slightly in the wrong place. In oh, Rome. Peroni. But, oh, will you? All right. Peroni, yeah. the strong one or the, the normal one? Oh, not the non-alcoholic. Yeah, it'll be the strong one. No, they've got the, so there's there's a few different Peronis, right? You've got the normal Peroni, then you've got the Peroni sort of export, if you like, red sort of label. Oh, it's really no. quite nice, actually. You Why should try do we it. need all of that? Why do oh, we? Tastes fairy, brother. Tastes fairy. <laughs> right. Let's let's get it. We've got loads to talk about. Obviously, like we said, it's Ryder Cup week. If anyone has been living under a rock, um, Americans seem to be getting very cocky. It's fantastic to see because we hopefully will bring them down a peg or two. Right. We're going to start with last week before we get into all the Ryder Cup stuff. A lot went on. We had the Open to France, the Solheim Cup, live Chicago, <laughs> Bryson, boo boo, but he's not in Rome. Right. Open to France, bro. It was a very interesting. We had the likes of Tom Kim and Billy Horschel coming over. And we've been told time and time again that the DP World Tour is weak in depth strength of depth we don't have any the americans could come over and they could just wipe our tournaments away well tom kim didn't win and neither did billy horschel but it was a great week bro did you watch much of it i did not watch much of it the reason being we had our overflow from the bowls finals weekend so there was a few games being played on sunday so i didn't but i was tracking it and i was watching it i mean i was very interested obviously you had rasmus hoygaard you know, he was your big pick last week and he just fell short. But yeah, I didn't see much of it, but I certainly had an interest for sure. Well, Ryo Hisatsuni, Japanese, young Japanese player, gets his first win. An amazing closing when you've got players like Jordan Smith, who was obviously fancied to go and do it on the Sunday, but really faltered with a 72. But you had players like Rasmus Hoygaard in behind Yannick Paul, you know, serial winners. And obviously Tom Kim, wasn't that far behind. Tom Kim, when he opened up with a 64 on Thursday, you think, okay, he's going to run away with this. I think you put a tweet out saying, 
Tom Kim's won the Open de France. But then Friday, <laughs> Friday he shot a, a 73. Because if anyone's listening out there, if you need something stopping, if if you're not enjoying what's going on in a sporting <laughs> event, just ring up Big Bro, get him involved, and he will put a tweet out. And immediately, your horse, right? If you're in a horse, you're betting on a horse race. Your horse is 10 lengths clear coming to the last flight of hurdles or chases, or even on the flat and he's got a furlong to go. If he puts a tweet out, that horse will fall, will turn around, will run the other direction. He is the biggest jinx on I am, aren't I? I am. The, I'll tell you what, the amount of times we've been in contention in a golf tournament from a betting point of view, and I've had someone like, you know, really close up there on the leaderboard, and I go, oh, he's going really well. I message you off to the side, and then a hole later, two holes later, double or triple bogey, and you message me back, and it's like, and I never learn, do I? I'm always no. You're just won't learn. But <laughs> exactly. anyway, let's get back to the golf. Um, Rio Hisatsuni. Now, what, 101 in the world, 21 years of age. It was a great win. Do you know, he has been knocking on the door over this. I know he has. Yeah, over this course of the DP World Tour season. And it's great. To, he played some great golf, like we said, 66, 69, 69, 66. Great golf. Other names to mention, like you said, Rasmus Hoygaard. I thought he would get the job done. Faltered a little bit on the Saturday with that 70. Left quite a few shots out there. Yannick Paul, another consistent tournament for him, but a poor 73. And it was a difficult course. We knew that Open de France, uh, the Golf National, the Golf National is a tough course. It's a plotter's course. You, there is plenty of trouble to be found if you're a little bit wayward. And plenty of people did that, including Ewan Ferguson, who was right up there in the mix come Sunday. But a 76, a five over Sunday round really knocked him out of contention. Um, Billy Horschel, we talked about Billy Horschel being involved. I'm looking down the list and he finished five under, tied 20th. Not great for him, really. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out. The fact that we have depth on the DP World Tour. We have great courses. We have a lot of quality players. So if anyone still thinks that our tour is little, and is a feeder tour. It's not, really. It's only being made a feeder tour for the likes of Pelly, the way he's sucking up to the Americans and the PGA Tour. But as a standalone tour, we are strong and we are great. And we will be great again, to paraphrase Donald Trump, which I wouldn't want to do normally. <laughs> but, I can't <laughs> believe you've used the Trumpism. Oh, um... I know. But you know what? It's quite, it's, um, it's very apt at the moment. A lot of, lot of chatter especially with live golf talks of taking away tournaments from Donald Trump's courses and obviously making it a more Hong Kong have put a lot of money up front and are going to, it seems that they're going to get a tournament next year. It's going to be more, I think eight tournaments are countries that we'll be going to on live next, next season. So that's quite exciting. Yeah. But Trump's courses allegedly being taken away from him, well, even though we'll he see. could, it yeah. could be a, President of the United States while still being in jail. Well, I don't know. Exa- They're yeah, crazy exactly. over there. Crazy. <laughs> He's got 91, 91 indictments against him. And yet 
they're what 304 days away from the next election in the US and and he's out there campaigning already anyway this this is not a podcast about Donald Trump or anything like that and we'll get on to talk about live but let's just go back to the DP World Tour events in France you know you you talk about obviously the strength in depth and and it's becoming very difficult to win on the DP World Tour because there is, you know, yes, we're going to lose players to the PGA Tour. We already have, etc. But there's a lot of good, strong, there's, there's a big tale of strong talent. And this young 21-year-old Japanese sensation, you know, shot a back 930. He's played, you talked about it earlier on. He's had a great season. He has, he's played 25 events and he's almost won 1.2 million euros. He's had a win, obviously, last week. He's had a tied second at the Fortinet in Australia, tied three at the Magical Kenyan Open, and four other top tens in 2023, and he's 21 years old. So it just shows you the talent that is out there. You know, it really, really does, and it's brilliant. But, yeah, he had a 69 sandwich, didn't he? It was like, you know, two 69s in the middle, sandwiched by 66s either side. Oh, there's some numbers they are. A 69 sandwich. That takes me back to my stag doing Munich. Right. Um, I think that's enough for this week. Another um, example of a decent week was Andy Sullivan. Um, six under, yeah. tied yeah. 16th for the Liverpool supporter, who we're hoping to get on this podcast. We know he listens. We know he listens. Come on, Andy. We want you on. We wanted you on this week to talk about Ryder Cup debates and whatever. I haven't been. Ryder Cup player, but not to be, but we will get you on. Um, another mention, bro, was Eduardo Molinari. I was talking last week about it's a shame that Francesco Molinari wasn't playing, so I thought he would have played well around the Golf National. But interesting that Dodo turned up considering his commitments to the Ryder Cup. Oh, he's done all his stat reviews, everything's all laid out on the table already, it's all done. So he had a free week. It's not oh, talking it, of late. Hey, talking <laughs> of laid up on table. Did you see? Um, did you see the the bit of video that Monty did? Um, oh, di- that was funny. Director Montgomery. I, was, he's so brilliant. I mean, like you, you wouldn't think he would have a sense of humour, and I mean, his acting needs a lot to be, you know, said for. But yeah, it was. This is Doubtfire. Exactly. <laughs> It was almost, it was, wasn't it? But yeah, I thought it was really comical. I thought it was brilliant. It was superb. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And um, yeah, a lot of a lot of people in there. There was the Nick Doherty, the Ryder Cup breakfast with Paul McGinley, Monty, Thomas Bjorn. That was brilliant as well. But I just want to pull up quickly, Paul McGinley. Um, he, was, he put out a tweet this afternoon or this morning talking about... Um, this is strong. This is a stronger team than we could have hoped for. Were his words now? Not sure what he really means by that. In was he expecting the team to be weak, um, knowing that we had two, three, and four in the official world golf rankings, whatever um, weight you you put on them? But what does he mean by this is stronger than we could have hoped for? I don't I'd, get it. I'd, he's in with Faldo, isn't he? You know, we talked about this last week, didn't we? With you know Faldo's statements with golf, uh, golf today. You know, and and it was just yeah, he's making similar kind of comments, which is actually quite astounding, really, isn't it? For someone who's only actually played three to three Ryder Cups himself, you know, and I don't know what he means by it. I I don't either. Well, other than 
well, we know what he means. I mean, we know what he's trying to get at at the end of the day. It's like, you know, that there wasn't many other options out there. But I disagree. You know, there's four rookies in there this year. Um, and there's a lot of other good talent out there that could have easily made the team. Absolutely. And it maybe would have been a different story had live players been allowed to compete. You know, the likes Garcia's still got some game in him. He played, you know, well for a, a large part last week in Chicago. But Blandy as well played well last week. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Blandy was ever, you know, even had he still been playing DP World Tour and stuff, I don't think he would have been in the reckoning. It would have been, I think, in his mind a couple of years ago, maybe so. But anyway, you know, off to the side. I, I think McGinley is, is spouting a bit like Faldo was uh, last week. Well, you know, it could be misdrewed. It, it could be taken many ways, right? And it could be saying, oh, well, thank God, Yannipol or Maron didn't get a pick. And that's, I'm, I'm sure he didn't mean that. And I'm not saying he did. But another comment he made in that same tweet was, this is a team in transition. Now, all I can get from that is that he means transitioning away from Westwood, Poulter and Garcia. Because yep. when we talk about teams in transition, as you know, being a football supporter and I'm a rugby supporter and what have you, Rugby Australia, right? That's that's a team in in transition right now. A lot of young players, the youngest team in the World Cup, Rugby World Cup. That's a team in transition, moving forward and looking forward to four years' time for the next World Cup. The likes of you know when you lose players and like Stephen Gerrard and Jordan Henderson, all that, and then you, you rebuild in midfields or you rebuild in teams. That's team in transition. You know that's the sort of transition I think. I don't think you can ever class a Ryder Cup team, be it American or European, as in transition. I, I can understand that comment to, to a certain extent in that you've got some youngsters coming up, the likes of obviously Aberg, Hoygaard. I'm pretty sure he'll be joined at the next Ryder Cup by his twin if they keep on going on their path. And, and who knows, there might be others, other rookies that, you know, a lot of good um, golfers that are going to be graduating from college over those next two years as well. So, you know, and, and there's a lot of talent out there that we don't know of. But yeah, the, the transition element is, you know, the, the likes of the Hoygaards, the Abergs, they're, they're going to be around for quite some time. And, you know, they're not going to go away in the game of golf. They're only going to get better. So maybe that is the statement. It's a transitionary period of time because we are moving away from the likes of the Garcia, Westwood, Poulter era, you know. That... Yeah, but you can't have a transit. When you've got a team that is predominantly picked by the player's own performance over a period of time and they've made their way into the team on their own right, you, it, it can't be a transition. It's all about quality e of era. play. Era transition, maybe. Well, he needs to perhaps word it completely differently. It just, it can't, for me, Ryder Cup is not, are all about transition. You're always going to get young players and rookies coming through and what have you. And that's always been the case and always will be. So to say it's a transition, you know, it sounds to me like he's setting it just in case we get B, you know, this team is in transition, we'll be much better at Beth Page Black in two years' time. It's just, it just, it's just continual rubbish coming from the likes of McGinley. As much as I respect him and father as golfers, it, the rhetoric is just painful. Sure, to be sure. <laughs> and so is your Irish accent. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> you are. Right. Let's talk about Solheim Cup. 
because it was fantastic. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I know there was a lot of um, negativity surrounding the course and its ability to look after the, the, the guests, the spectators. Um, refreshments were running out and there wasn't a lot of shade and a lot more tickets were sold than they thought were going to be sold, etc., etc. It seemed like it was a bit of a shambles and that's coming from both sides of both camps, okay? Um, what we did have, though, was an amazing golf tournament. I mean, you're 4-0 down for European, you're 4-0 down after the first session. My word, is it an uphill struggle? But oh, yeah. my word, did they battle? And the battle was led by one homegrown, amazing woman in Colotta Saganda. What a performance. Oh, absolutely unbelievable. I mean, she was flying the flag for the European team last week, wasn't she? And, and yeah, you know, the, it almost looked like they were doomed after that first session. And, you know, it can happen. It's only it's four games. But the the ability to dig in and pull back and be 8-8 eight, eight after day two, after all of the pairs, the foursomes and the four balls, was just one hell of a performance. I, I was really worried for the Europeans going in, as I said on last week's podcast, because of maybe some of the world ranking positions. And, you know, I, I was I think I was very critical about Caroline Headwall. But again, you know, I think her Ryder Cup record trumped, obviously, everything to do with season form. And she pulled it out the bag. You know, she she put out some brilliant performances and her putting in the singles was, you know, phenomenal. And she made some great puts in, in the pairs as well. So she was up for it. You know, she's almost like the the female Liam Poulter from a, a patriotic kind of chest-bumping point of view. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be careful, haven't you, with the ladies? But, um, you know, it, it was just a tremendous fight back and the the viewing on the Sunday was just gripping. I mean, those singles matches were just unbelievable. But yeah, Saganda was uh, was top-notch. She really was. And, and there was a lot of other good players um, yeah, it's interesting. We talk about the songs and the singing of the Ryder Cup Guardians and everything. I put a tweet out, I think it was on the Saturday or something. I was watching it and I just heard this really weak singing in the background. And it was, you know, Baby Shark. It was the Baby Shark, <laughs> do, 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 do. And it was Maya Stark. Maya Stark. <laughs> oh, no, seriously, please don't. Like, oh, I love that. I didn't hear that. That would have yeah. been in my head all day long, I think. Oh, I it was in my that. head. That's why it was annoying. But, yeah, get back to the golf. You know, obviously the match was tied and Europe retained the Solheim Cup. Um, but that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it begs a question, doesn't it? And, you know, we'll talk about the Ryder Cup in a minute. And there's not obviously been many ties since we've seen Europe versus the USA in the Ryder Cup, which interestingly only actually started in 1979. But there's only actually been one tied event. Now, I suppose the big question is, is, OK, you tie it and there's all this big celebration thing, and it's the celebration is because you've retained the cup. I would rather win the cup and see that celebration. So a 14-14 tie for me isn't a win. It's a retainage of the cup. I get all of that. But the question is, should there be a changing in the format so that there is an outright winner? And if so, what would that look like? What's, what's your view? Well... I mean, it's only come to light because the Americans have drawn it 
and we've retained it. I think you wouldn't be having yeah, this conversation. Blow that out the window. You wouldn't be, stuff. yeah, you wouldn't be having this conversation if it was over in in the, in the states and they retained the trophy. It'd be happy days. You didn't come over. You didn't win it. But yes. I get your point. You have to win it. Okay. So where? What do we do? Do we uh, do we have a a situation? Where I think Dotty Pepper said on on socials the the team that are holding the trophy start with a half point lead, right? No. So then, so then you've got to the other team's got to come out and get fifteen points or, or whatever. Um, that can't happen. Okay, you don't like that. So we look at do we have a playoff of some sort, and do we have? Could you imagine, right? This is funny. So could you imagine the captains then have to go down and play a three-hole playoff, right? <laughs> could you imagine if that happened in the Ryder Cup? We've got Luke Donald and Zach Johnson. It'd be the most boring playoff you've ever seen in your life. Like Monty be at the side. Director Montgomery would be asleep. It'd be, you, so I don't think that could happen. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have... Uh, an allocated player for the playoff and they play either 18 and the next day, which I don't think will work because of the crowds or, or you just, or the captains pick someone. I don't know. What are your thoughts? What do you reckon could happen? I don't care really, to be honest in the whole scheme of things. I think retaining it is fine. Um, I I don't know. I I don't want to see a playoff because imagine if they picked a player, and the weight was on the shoulders of that one player again to keep the trophy, to win the trophy. I yeah, think that's a lot of not? pressure to us. It's a lot of pressure, but these are professional sportsmen that deal with pressure week in, week out. So why not? I think that there are two. Rory options. would rip his shirt off if he oh, lost. Oh, of course he would, but you wouldn't play Rory, <laughs> would you? You really wouldn't. But um, no, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the captain would have a choice to make based on how he feels people have played in the singles, maybe on the final day. And then it may be a three-hole playoff. There are two options. It's either what about that. about a fight? Yeah, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, but Bryson's not there this year, so that wouldn't work. Um, I no, say John I... Rahm versus Brian Harmon. Oh, little and large. But in a cage. I think we'll win. Your head's definitely racing away, I tell you. But no, for me, it, there's two options. It's either a three-hole playoff um and then sudden death after that or there's no change at all and it's literally retainage uh, you know you retain or you win and, and that's it or you lose so yeah or it... if there is a draw whoever finds keith pelly first is the winner how would that work with the solheim cup it's got nothing to do with the solheim has he oh fuck it find him anyway <laughs> <laughs> That yeah, that might go into overtime. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, you're right. retained the Solheim Cup. in there, Europe. Well done, Colotta Segunda. And special mention to Gemma Dryberg. What a performance from the rookie. I thought she played some cracking golf out there. And um, thumbs down for Lexi Thompson, your sulky thing. I mean, you know, she was asked. <laughs> it was a bit of a silly question, but my word, is she sulky? And um, she still won her singles match, which actually meant nothing. <laughs> it meant nothing in the end, exactly. And a hat trick of wins from Europe for the first ever time. I look forward to um, the rematch over in the States in a couple of years' time. Anyway, um, right, let's get on to it, bro, because we did have another great tournament last week. The Windy City hosted Liv. And, oh, my God, 
what a final round from the man himself, Bryson. He, he just, I love that man. I, I can't believe I didn't bet on him. But there you go. I can't believe that either. And yeah, we all know you love him. I mean, that that's clear. But yeah, it was a a brilliant performance. Do you know what I like? Did I like it? I found it amusing. It was the after the tournament was finished and they're all on the 18th green and there's the champagne gets spraying all over the place whilst Anaban Lahiri is just he's just trudging off the green in utter disappointment. Although he did go up and obviously have a quick hug with Bryson because they're both in the same team and there's a winner Watch and us. a loser. Yeah. Winner and a loser from a singles perspective. And obviously Bryson was the winner and Anaban Lahiri came second. But you're still in it. You're still part of the team. And that obviously is what has to take precedence. But it was it was the Bryson interview. And it's like, you know, it's they obviously call Anaban Lahiri Ban. Um, I'm absolutely disappointed for Ban. You know, he didn't win. Ban, he's played the best golf. And it's oh, it was just, it was, it was absolutely hilarious. I found it comedy gold TV. Jeez, it doesn't take much, does it? You, <laughs> exactly, you, yeah. you, even, you even laughed at in the Attic. That's what your comedy's at. No, I don't. I don't even watch that. Oh, don't you? Okay. No, right. No, <laughs> but I know you have, um, as much as the, the tournament's fantastic, Blandy, another great performance. But yeah, Anaban Lahiri. I mean, Indian golf in general is just going through the roof with performances across all tours. And it's great. And ever since we talked to Joy Chakravarti, it, it was just, it is, I, I'm following it more and more. And it is such an ascendance into the golfing world. And Anaban is doing his thing, obviously, amazingly well with the Crushers. But the Crushers winning. I don't think anyone saw that last week. I think people had Aces and Ripper. And it was a terrible performance from Cam Smith last week. I must say that. Awful, awful. It really it was, was 40th place. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, a lot of people fancied him, obviously, to back up the win from last year, but he showed no form whatsoever. And that's quite interesting given that he'd won a few weeks ago at Bedminster and then he'd won, you know, the couple of events before that at, at uh, Centurion as well. I'm not going to call it London because I just won't. But yeah, you know, a couple of wins and he won at Centurion, 35th at Greenbrier. One at Bedminster, 40th at Chicago. I mean, there, there is just no consistency in his form apart from, you know, what he had early season. However, he is top of the individual rankings on 170 points. So you can't argue with that, can you, with obviously two wins. But, you know, you talk about Anaban Lahiri again, you know, great form from him this year. Two, two second places and a third place um, you know, 10th in the overall individual rankings and absolutely solidifying the position for 2024. As you would expect with Dean Burmester, 14th, uh, Blandy, as you talked about again, you know, he's in 20th, uh, almost, you know, well, almost safe, you would think, inside the top 24. But there are a lot of players that are playing some dreadful, dreadful golf on live golf at the moment uh you know martin keimer in particular chase kepka you know bern wiesberger who spoke to us on the podcast a few weeks ago he's not having the best of time with it westwood all over the place you know some of them are going to be safe because they're captains and they're attached to equity stakes in the team uh, but there's there's a few that are just playing dire dire golf at the moment hey eh? worrying worrying for a lot of people <laughs> you know i i, I 
we talked about it, didn't we, a few weeks ago? I want to see, I want to see Liv getting better in terms of the quality of the golf and the quality of the golfers. If you Smith, Gooch, Deshambo, Reed, Kepka, DJ, seventh place, you know, Pereira was making a name for himself on the PJ Tour. They're all of the names that came from the PJ Tour that you would expect to, you know, live and prosper in live golf or like that. But um, yeah, and they all are doing that and they're in you know right at the top of the tree as far as live golf goes at the moment team well, wise inter- go on no no it's just interesting with with live that there are you know four players have been invited to the alfred dunhill links uh next week from from live who are and they? yeah yeah there you've got gooch swafford ustays and and Ulahine. i mean it's all it's all sponsors work yeah, right yeah. Uh, johan rupert the chairman of the luxury brand what is it compagnie financier Rick, rickmont or whatever it is which includes dunhill as a brand they they've they've got them over and they're allowed because they either didn't have a dp world tour status or they resigned uh, as in who stays in this cage uh, in case resigned mm. from the dp world tour so um it, yeah, it's an interesting one that they've been invited over. It's a shame more haven't been invited over for what is a great tournament. But I think that is a sign. It's a good sign. That's a good sign that sponsors are waking up and saying, actually, we want these players to come to our events, right? We want these players in our best events. And we pay the money. We make the choice and make the decisions. I like that. More sponsors should step up and do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely with you. Just going back to the the team aspect of this as well. Uh, you know, the Range Goats were fourth after Greenbrier. Well, they're now fifth, so they're outside of those top four places. So they're not going to get that buy in that first round of the the team event, are they? Um, you know, we're going to they're going to have to obviously be picked. So four aces top crushers absolutely propelled up to second with their recent run of good performances. Torque and Stinger are the others, three and fourth position. Cleeks still holding up everybody at the bottom, along with the Iron Heads in 11th. So I would imagine you're going to see, you know, a few of the sides looking at, you know, the Cleeks and the Iron Heads has been a bit of maybe a, a rollover in terms of that team event knockout structure. So that's where we are with the teams. In terms of the money, bro, I'm just going to give you a couple of facts around the money, not dwell on it too much. But um, individual standings, we've got Gucci at just over $15 million, Cam Smith just over 14 the Shambo with his two wins recently, 13 million. Again, big, big numbers. And in terms of the team aspect of it as well, obviously, once you take into place the, the first, second, and third payouts, we're looking with the crushers at the top at just a shade on the $32 million, 13% of the prize pool. Range Goats, $28.4 million. And the four aces, surprisingly down there in third on the money stakes, even though they lead the way overall in the team event. So that's where we are with live money and standings. And it was a good tournament. But yeah, amazing final round from Bryson DeChambeau. I know. I know that it just, it just continues to amaze. And he, he said himself... You know, in the press conference after, you know, he's playing some of the the best golf of his life right now. He is right up there. And could you imagine having Bryson on your team? There's a drivable par four at Marco Simone. But could you imagine having Bryson on your team in that form? I mean, I don't think there's anyone. You look at 
Scheffler, maybe. Um, but apart from that, I don't see anybody else that you would take above a Bryson DeChambeau in such form. Now, it made me laugh that Zach Johnson was talking in press conferences, um, in the press conference, saying, well, you know, we have this point system and blah, 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 and we looked at the top 30, and then we got to the top 20. I mean, he was considering the likes of Brendan Todd over Bryson DeChambeau for the for the Get away. Cup. No, that well, that's that's what happens, you know. He's, he's talking about the points and the the tournaments that they're playing and what have you. But he's looking at players like Brendan Todd over Bryson DeChambeau because of the whole, you know. If it wasn't for Brooks playing his way into it, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have got in. I don't think. I don't. You know, would you if Brooks hadn't won a major, would he have got in? Well, probably not with their stance around live golf. No, absolutely not. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the fans want to see the best players. Look at whistling straights when Bryson, you know, that bombed that drive and pumped up and the crowd were loving it. And you know, no one's going to boo Bryson the Shambo and stuff. No, it wouldn't happen in the Ryder Cup. I think you're American. He's one of the best golfers America have regardless of world ranking situation at the moment, which is just crazy that he is outside the top 100. But anyway, right, I think that's uh, that wraps it up. You know my feelings of Bryson. And if Bryson's listening, Bryson, you know my feelings. I wish you were there. Anyway, right, <laughs> let, let's let's get into it. Before we get into the Ryder Cup, right, which is basically why we're here, right? It's just a Ryder Cup. Right. I want to talk to you about the Junior Ryder Cup because not a lot of people know that the Junior Ryder Cup is going on right now in Italy, down the road from Marco Simone. Right. So here we are. You've got teams of 12, mixed sex teams from Europe and from the United States. I mean, you've got um, Jackson Bird there son of Jonathan Bird, PGA Tour player. He's on the team. I think he's 15 years of age or whatever he is. But anyway, so they played four balls. Um, sorry, they played foursomes today. Played foursomes in the morning, foursomes in the afternoon. Four balls tomorrow morning, four balls tomorrow afternoon. They're playing at Golf Nazionale at the moment, but the singles will take place at Marco Simone on Thursday. It is televised on Thursday for the singles. You'll find it on Sky or it'll be streamed on Peacock. Currently, as it stands, it's six points apiece. Um, Europe is captained by DP World Tour player Stephen Gallagher, the jock. And do you know what? A, a massive shout out to Connor Graham from Scotland and Sean Keelan from Ireland, who was six down in one of their matches today through nine holes, six down. They tied their match to get a valuable half point wow. for Team Europe. So, yeah, mixed sex team, Junior Ryder Cup. It's fantastic. I can't wait to watch it on Thursday for the singles and hopefully Europe get another win before we start the main event on Friday. So, yeah, uh, good luck to the, the boys and girls and Junior Ryder Cup teams from USA and Europe. Right. Ryder Cup, bro. Where do we start? Um, do we start? I want to start on the first gonna... hole normally. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. Have you seen the stands? The oh, stands mate, from the, from the outside, they make <laughs> them look like the um, Colosseum. Now, I know you've been to Rome. Uh, I haven't been to Rome. And tell us a little bit about the city. 
30. No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> listen. And not the well, strip clubs. <laughs> exactly. No, um, Rome, I, I'm going back quite some years now. So it's, um, but any, anyway, regardless, obviously Rome is famous for its tourist attractions, the likes of the Trevi Fountain, obviously the Vatican City. You know, and there's loads of other places, and there's lots and lots of restaurants around. But as a city, oh, Judith Chalmers, shut up! <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Wish you were here. Wish you were here, hey, Judith. <laughs> oh, put, sorry, put bro on. I thought I was doing the other podcast. It's all right. No, <laughs> anyway, <Where> not to <clears throat> travel. Exactly. No, but I I felt Rome very much like most European cities in places you know could do with a bit of a clean up and stuff, and you know very much like Paris as well. So very similar in that respect. Um, and of course, yeah, as you say, the Colosseum and stuff. But uh, never played golf in Italy or in Rome in in particular. But yeah, it's uh, I'm going back quite a few years. So listen, as you say, it's not a wish you were here program talking about places. But in terms of the golf itself, yeah, we're super excited this week. There's a lot to cover for us in terms of Ryder Cup, and let's get into it. Why don't? Well, we? before we get into it, let's get into our memories. Ryder Cup memories, we all have them, whether they be Seve, whether they be John Rahm, whether they be Paul Azinger, Nick Faldo, whoever. Give me yours, Graham. Big Bro's memory, Ryder Cup. What is it? Best memory, Ryder Cup, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I think there are, there are many, but there's one that sticks out for me. And I go back into the mid-90s when... I really started getting interested in golf, you know, from a betting perspective and stuff. And when, you know, I started watching it a lot more, it was the 1995 Ryder Cup for me at Oak Hill, Rochester, New York. And it was it was an interesting renewal of the Ryder Cup because Bernard Gallagher was the captain for the third successive time. And the two previous attempts, he'd narrowly lost. So let's go back. 91, Keira Island, he lost 14 and a half, 13 and a half to Dave Stockton's team. And in 1993 at the Belfry, when the last time that the Americans, the last time the Americans won on European soil, I must add, was when Tom Watson's American team beat Bernard Gallagher's team, 15-13. And then Bernard Gallagher got a third bite at the apple and he won, right? The team won 14 and a half, 13 and a half. It was an epic war of attrition out there in New York, for sure. And there were a lot of stories for me in particular um, you know, not just the fact that we just narrowly won and it was Gallagher's third time and he won it you know, at the third attempt. But if you look at a lot of the players on both sides, you know, a lot of talent. And let's just pull out a couple of facts in particular. The Americans, the average age of the American team was 36 years old. Phil Mickelson actually was playing as a rookie at this Ryder Cup at the age of 25. Wow. There were five rookies the Americans took into battle that year at Oak Hill. So it was quite an interesting sort of lineup uh, in terms of, you know, Lanny Watkins was the non-playing captain. And the Americans' average world ranking was 23.9. Now, 
you side that up with the Europeans. The average age of the European side back in 95 was also 36. The average world ranking of the team was 38.9. So the Americans were deemed to be far superior. But we had the likes of Monty, we had Gallagher, we had Sam Torrance, we had Seve, you know, a lot of big names. We had Nick Fowler, Ian Woosnam in particular. And we only had two rookies that year, right? So a really strong team in terms of prior Ryder Cup experience. And those rookies were Sweden's Per Ulrich Johansson and the Republic of Ireland's Philip Walton. Now, interesting Philip Walton, because Philip Walton was actually the player as a rookie that sunk the winning putt to win the Ryder Cup for Europe that year in Oak Hill. But it was an absolutely brilliant golf tournament. You know, we we had it all really starting from the morning foursomes on the on the Thursday when, you know, we kind of went in and we were 2-2 after that first session. And then we got absolutely battered in the four balls. 3-1 the Americans beat us and only David Guilford and Seve were the only ones to score for Europe where they beat Faxon and Jakobsen four and three. So we went in three, five down after day one. And then day two was, was pretty much a kind of, you know, it was one, it was a game of two halves really. Europe won the morning foursomes three, one, and the Americans repaid the compliments in the four balls in the afternoon three, one. So we went in after day two, seven, nine down. Now seven, nine down away on American soil, right up against it, battling Bernard Gallagher's third attempt at trying to win. And his team really went out. You know, the singles guys played absolutely phenomenal golf that day. And we won so many of the matches, you know, scrappy one-ups. You know, there was four matches in particular that were one-ups. Howard Cart beat um, Peter Jacobson one-up. We had David Guilford, uh, a name that you wouldn't really think about, you know, 30-year-old David Guilford at the time, one up against Brad Faxon. And Nick Faldo also won one up against Curtis Strange. But it was Philip Walton that sealed the deal for the Europeans, beating Jay Haas with that winning put and sinking and winning the match. 14 and a half, 13. It was just, the golf was just epic, right? And it was, And that's really what got me so interested from that point in the Ryder Cup. So that's my best memory. Long story, but that's what it is. No, brilliant. So, yeah, you're right. It was long, but no, it was. It was <laughs> <laughs> no, no, great. It, right. Okay. Here's mine. Now, Medina, what can you say? Right. Okay. Here we go. Just like a football team trailing 3 0 at half time, Europe faced a monumental uphill battle as they aim to secure a victory, at the very least, retain the Ryder Cup title during the concluding single matches at Illinois' Medina Country Club. Now, the American team, under the leadership of Captain Davis III, had been dominating. They maintained a commanding 10 6 lead as Saturday night fell, requiring only four and a half points to secure the coveted victory. Now, in this high stakes showdown, Europe led by the beloved Spanish skipper, Jose Maria Alathabal, who sought to draw inspiration from the late Seve, his best mate, who tragically succumbed to cancer the previous year. The goal was nothing short of staging one of the most remarkable comebacks in Ryder Cup history. Alathabal and his team carried the weight of an impressive European track record with six wins in the last eight tournaments. They needed eight points out of a possible 12 to retain the cup 
or eight and a half to claim an outright win. Europe wasted no time in making their intentions clear. The miracle of Medina commenced with an astonishing four consecutive victories, levelling the scores at 10 apiece, following several tense shifts on the leaderboard. Jason Duffner's triumph over Peter Hansen, the Swede, in the 10th match brought the score to a deadlock, 13-13. Unlucky for some, unlucky for one team. This meant that a single point in the penultimate match between Martin Keimer and the seasoned Steve Stricker would be enough for Europe to secure retention of the cup. Despite a recent slump in form leading up to the tournament, Keimer displayed no signs of trouble with his game as he calmly sunk that five-foot put on the 18th hole, completing what was a remarkable comeback with one match still undecided. In the final pair, in Tiger Woods faltered on the 18th hole, conceding it to Franny Molinari. This hard-fought half-point ensured Europe's undisputed victory. The miracle of Medina will live in the memory of many, and it's my most amazing Ryder Cup memory. Wow, brilliant. Auto cue reading that, Craig. That was superb. Yeah, no, it's auto cue. <laughs> Hey, that was what? all from that was all from the mind. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, it, it's interesting when you look back at Ryder Cup moments, isn't it? And obviously, there there are two standouts. I mean, there's another one for me, the the Justin Leonard controversy in 1999 at the Country Club Brookline. You know, when the Americans won 14 and a half, 13 and a half. You know, it's just there's a number of things, and there there is this tension, isn't there? As I said earlier on, there's only actually been one tied Ryder Cup since the Americans started playing against a European team. Because previously it was Great Britain and Ireland or it was Great Britain or whatever. So 1979 is when that started. But um, yeah, lots and lots of interesting tournaments over those years. America have won nine Ryder Cups to Europe's 11. And obviously that tie that I talked about. And this is how close it's been in terms of points since 1979. The USA have amassed 292 and a half points and the Europeans 295 and a half points. Isn't that quite, that, that's amazing that really, isn't it? In terms of points amassed, considering you've had some big landslide victories over the years. I mean, not, not to mention obviously last year at Whistling Straits with a 19-9 battering and also then, you know, in um, Minnesota, you know, 17-11 when Clark was captain, we lost. So, you know, and so that shows you there's been a lot of close games. Only six away wins as well for any team in the Ryder Cup since 1979, of which Europe have had four of them. Uh, now, 19... why, why, do you, why do you think that is? Right? I, I, okay, it's interesting, got the ob- isn't it? Yeah, we, we've, got the obvious, we've got the obvious crowds, elements. and Because and you can't talk about being on the home soil. Most of our team play in America. So it's not all about home soil as such as you know it's probably very hard for the americans coming over to to europe rather than our europeans going over to america so it's is it course set up or is it i don't know is it the green so we are we looking at that it's it's very interesting that fact and then it's quite surprising i thought you know golf is a, is a leveling you talk about a lot of people coming over and winning majors from different countries and what have you but 
yeah, the Ryder Cup, it's very interesting. It's got to be a crowd thing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, obviously, you know, we, we have a lot of players that play in the PGA Tour. I mean, that's probably only going back over the last couple of decades, really. Before that, there wasn't so much of it. Yeah, there yeah, was the likes point. of the good Faldo point. and, you know, obviously the, the Langers, etc. But, yeah, six away wins only across those 21 Ryder Cups is, is quite a stat for me. As I say, 87 in Muirfield Village, 95 in Oak Hill that I talked about. 12, 2012 Medina that you talked about, and 2004 Oakland Hills as well. They're the four times that Europe have won away from home. But as I said earlier on, it's been since 1993 was the last time USA won on European soil at the Belfry. And that is quite a stat. And that's why I, I firmly believe that I think it will be a close Ryder Cup. But I do firmly believe that the Europeans will win again. I think I do agree that they've got a strong backbone in the likes of Rahm, Rory, Fleetwood, Hatton. You know, whilst Hovland hasn't had a lot of Ryder Cup experiences, and neither has Shane Lowry either, which you would be really, well, really, you know, interested at. This is only his be, second Ryder Cup. Before we get into the players and like we can look at pairings perhaps for Friday, foursomes and whatever. You, are there? Who's your main Ryder Cup worry for Team Europe? I'll I'll go first, right? Go on, um, mine is Fitzpatrick, right? For yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, a lot of people could turn around and say, "Oh, it's Aber because you know he's just out of college. You know, it's just out of Pampers, and he's he, he's there. And he hasn't played in a major, and he's playing in a Ryder Cup. But it's actually not. It's Fitzpatrick, seasoned professional, major winner. But he's been knocked out in every single group stage of the world match play. Scored zero points at Whistling Straits, as he did at Hazel Time. Match play, is it his thing? I mean, he was second here at Marco Simone in the Italian Open last year behind Bobby, um, Bobby Mack, who he lost to in a playoff. Match play. You know, it's so what is it with match play and match fits? Are we going to see a different match fit? Is it all about who he partners up with? Um, that's going to help him. I just don't know. I just don't think match play is Matt Fitzpatrick's game. That's my main worry for Team Europe. I, I think, you know, you're right to have that worry. And I think a lot of people will have that same worry. I mean, you know, his pedigree, has, his stock has risen in world golf. Obviously, he's, he's a major winner now. Interesting, though, isn't it? You know, you, you talk back to, you know, 2016, where was that Hazel team, you know, when he was a rookie and, and he lost both of his games and then obviously followed that up and you know didn't play in France in 2019. I can't remember whether that was an injury or he just didn't make the team. But again, his Ryder Cup record is five matches, five losses. So, yeah, I would be with you. Very concerned about someone like Fitzpatrick. My big concern right now is, is Shane Lowry. I just don't think his game is anywhere near where it needs to be this season. And that's what I was really interested in. It is only his second Ryder Cup. Mm. Shane Lowry's only second Ryder Cup. You know, the Whistling Straits, he won one and he lost two. Right? So, not a great record. Okay, but we got battered 19-9. But his form this season hasn't been outstanding enough. However, you know, if he was to be paired with Rory, for example, you know, obviously, yeah, Southern Ireland, Northern Ireland connection. But, 
that's the only thing that maybe you'd think would pull him through, but he's got to show something. So Fitzpatrick, yours, Lowry is mine. I know we've got four rookies. How much will they be played over the first two days remains to be seen. But yeah, that, that that's where my concern would be. But I equally have concerns with, the, not that I'm really interested in what the Americans do, really, but you know there has to be concerns with the American rookies as well, I would think. I've got, mate. I've got concerns. If I was, if I was American, right, and you know, if you're an American, listen to this now. I would be super concerned with my team. I think there are there there are more concerns across that team than you can imagine. You know, let's not even get started. JT, he's because oh, oh, he's, he's back. He played well a few weeks ago in a in a tournament. Come on, it, no. It doesn't. What did I say? One swallow doesn't make a spring, or somewhere, or whatever it is. Right? Huge concerns over JT. I think, well, of course, but his Ryder Cup record is very, very good. You know, nine matches, give, six I don't wins. Give, I don't care about that. You know what I mean? What does does a Ryder Cup all of a sudden improve your swing completely? Are you like because you're a competitive player? I, I disagree with that. I, it's I, different. I just, it's different, I just think it? he's not playing the level of golf he was at Whistling Straits. Is damn sure. Um, would you look at Phil Kenyon's like helping out Scotty Scheffler on the putting greens, getting his putting sorted out and stuff like that? There are many issues I have in the American team, which which leads me to one conclusion: is that we'll win comfortably despite my concerns of Fitzpatrick or Aberg or, or Sepp Straka or whatever or, or Shane Lowry, as yours are. I think we'll win comfortably, but. It's. It, it, do you know what? Let's get into who we think is going to team, who are going to team up on for the foursomes on Friday, right? Okay, let's get straight into it. But because... just before we do that, can I just raise one point as, as well about confidence yep. around Luke Donald? You know, Luke Donald's Ryder Cup record is really, really strong. You know, 15 matches, 10 wins. That's pretty strong. So Yeah, but he, he ain't playing. No, I know, but he knows what it takes to win a Ryder Cup match, right? And and I do think he is a people person. There's also that, you know, that angle around the statistical view. We've got Dodo Molinari doing all of his stats. And I know, you know, someone came out today, I can't remember who it was, and talked about the stats. Um, you know, I think it was actually uh, Constantina Rocker actually came out and said, you know, it, it's not about the stats. You, you can't really be looking at that. It's It's about you know, kind of have they got the attitude to turn up and play a game of golf and, you know, have, have they got the fight for the Ryder Cup and stuff like that. So the stats are important about who could be playing better against two. So, yeah, I'm with you. Let's get into our – let's start with day one foursomes and let, let's talk about what we think is going to be the lineup for Europe. Okay. Uh, yeah, for Europe, for me, you look at what has gone on. Um, over the last few weeks, you know, Wentworth groupings, practice groups, uh, Marco Simone and the practice round that happened today. I think that tells you all you need to know about who are going to play the foursomes on Friday. And for me, it's going to be Rory and Tommy. It's going to be Rahm and Hatton. It's going to be Hovland. See, this is a difficult one here, right? So here, here are the pairings I think that are a set: Rory, Tommy, Ron, Ram Hatton, Fitzpatrick, um, Hoygaard, 
Hovland, Aberg, Rose, McIntyre, Stracker, Lowry. The issue you have, you can only choose four. I get it. Um, for the foursomes. So I'm going to go Rory, Tommy. Um, and I think it's Rory, Tommy will be, Rory will be hitting the first shot. Rory, Tommy, Ram, Hatton. And I think he's going to play Hovland, Aberg. I think he's going to play Hovland, Aberg as the third. He's going to mix them in there as the third. And the fourth will be Stracker and Lowry. I think Rose and McIntyre and um, Fitzpatrick and Hoygaard will miss out on the first lot of matches. Okay, interesting that because I I I have looked at the statistical angle. Let's be very clear. Um, Lowry didn't play one foursomes game at Whistling Straits, right? So why would there be a change in that thinking right now? Um, I, I don't know. And and I've gone with a totally different lineup to you. I've gone okay. I've gone Raman Hovland. I think I heard Luke Donald today come out and say we need to go with power packed pairings. And of course, we're changing back to foursomes. I think previous editions on European soil have started with four balls, I believe. So we're going back to traditional start with foursomes. And I heard him say power packed pairings. So I'm going Rahman Hovland. I'm going Fleetwood and Hatton. I'm going McElroy and Aberg. And I'm going Fitz and Straka. They're my. F- so for me, Rose and Lowry miss out in the first round of matches. So this is a point that I want to, and I never really thought about this until recently, is that when you look at foursomes, you have to now, with the way technology is and preferential um, requirements for players, it's like, who plays with the same ball, right? So you look at who... Who plays on tour with the same ball, softness, hardness, or or whatever it is? Now, I haven't got those facts with me right now as we speak. I didn't have time to look into it all. But that must play a huge part of pairing people up. I mean, gelling together. Because, yeah, I mean, if you're you're playing with a a, a softball for for that touch around the green, I mean then you have to play the two players who have been playing with that all season, do you not? Yeah, and I hadn't considered that either. I think that's another that's another statistical angle as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But that's, that can't be. I mean, these golfers have got to be able to play with, you know, all kinds of different ball setups. And I know they are manufactured differently, as are the clubs as well. So, you know, someone playing with tightless, they play with a tightless ball or a Callaway ball or, you know, so, yeah, there's that angle to look at before. So that they'll be doing all of that st- statistical angle as well as who has maybe played with each other in recent tournaments, practice or whatever. So well, we haven't got a Fred Couples, have we? We haven't got a Fred Couples who has just spilled the beans. I mean, if you, if you want a secret kept, do not tell Fred Couples anything. What's because apparently Fred Couples has come out and said that JT and Speed and Xander and Cantley will play all four matches together. Oh wow! He's basically okay. come out and said they're going to play all the matches. Yeah, bish bash bosh. Now, no one, you know, Luke hasn't come out and said anything like that. But when you look at four balls, four balls is a completely different scenario, right? So for me, if you want explosive power and you want your your four ball to have that, you've got to have Rory and Aberg. For me, I think you know Rory is as much as I uh, I don't 
particularly enjoyed the guy's comments and everything that he stands for at the moment in the world of golf. You, know, you can't get away from the fact he's a great driver of the ball, as is Aberg. And I think they will be fantastic together. I think they'll give enough opportunities to score points and, and get those birdies and get those points on the board. Um, you look at power again. I think you've got to look at perhaps Rama Nico. I think Nico needs a bit of more of a mature figure in the game. Um, and I think Rom is that for me. Um, so, yeah, for me, two definite pairings, if I was Luke Donald, would be Rahm and Nico, Rory and Aberg. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think the four balls as well, I'm I'm not sure they would I'm not sure they would play out until maybe the foursomes have been played and see who's playing or whatever, but he might have a plan A and a plan B. You know, I had Rahm and Aberg playing in the four balls, I had McElroy and Lowry. Again, you're looking for a little bit of rotation, maybe I'd Rose and Bobby Mack maybe a bit controversial. And then sticking with Hatton and Fleetwood maybe as a pairing. I I can see some of these pairings going all the way through. Um, at least three Did you of see the how four poorly matches. Bobby Mack was driving the ball on the range. Oh, that, I mean, that's that's a worry, isn't it? It's yeah. Well, he missed a cut last week. You know, you're trying to get a bit of confidence here, mate. No, 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 no I'm just one. I just came to it a few balls actually. Um, but at some point, on the... these rookies have got to be played. You know, they have to be, even if it's only one out of the four pairs games. No, of course they have, and uh, I mean, it's going to be Luke Donald is pretty much. Um, like you were last week, um, balls deep on Dustin Johnson. I think Lou Donald is balls deep with Ludwig Aberg. I, mm. I could easily see him playing in the foursomes and the four balls. Um, I, I don't know. I, for me, looking at the points and, and whatever, I think I think we're very tight in the foursomes, but I think Europe will overpower the states in the four balls. That's my my opinion. And I think come Sunday, I think we'll have a, a four, maybe five point lead going into into the singles on Sunday. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got Europe winning fifteen and a half, twelve and a half. That's that's my um, prediction. I've got Seventeen and a half, ten and a half. God, you're crazy, man. That's not going to uh, be that big. I'm not crazy. I think the Americans are shit. I, I sit, oh, I don't, no, no, back now. It's, no, I won't. I, you know me. I, I never hold back, right? But it's. I. I. I think that. No, I, I I'm think not that's having an it. Overreaction. That's, I'm not I having mean, it at all. You're true. telling me Wyndham Clark thinks he's better than Rory McIlroy. Tell me about being dis- delusional. I mean, no, no, nobody's saying that, are they? Wyndham the Clark said it. it what he Wyndham, said, he's better than Rory McIlroy. Wyndham Clark said he's better than. Rory McIlroy. Oh, okay, well that's delusional, but yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm talking about. That they, they are delusional. I mean, Brian Harmon is a great, you know, he won the Open, fantastic. He's a great player, but yeah, best of luck to you. I, do you know what? I'd make sure that Ludwig Arberg and Brian Harmon were together. I mean, let's just like let's teach that guy a lesson for winning a Hoy Lake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know, he's he's a steady player for me. So it's, yeah, I mean, hey, listen. just to break it up a little bit, bro. Can I? Yeah. Can I? Can I just give you a joke, right? It's look, I like a joke, okay? And we're Italy, we're in Rome, and whatever. Right here we go. These three spies get captured one day: a French spy, a German spy, and an Italian spy. The captors come into the cell where the spies are being held and grab the French spy, take him French spy, 
French fry. It's French, French fry. fry. <laughs> Take him to the next room and tie his hands behind a chair. They then proceed to torture him for two hours before he finally cracks, answers all questions and gives up all his secrets. The captors then throw the French spy back into the cell and grab the German spy. They tie his hands behind the back in the chair next to the room, torture him for four hours before he finally cracks, tells him what they want to know. They throw him back in the cell, grab the Italian spy. Once again, they tie his hands behind the chair and begin torturing. Four hours go by and the spy isn't talking. The Italian spy is not talking. Then eight hours, then 16 hours, 24 hours, they give up and throw him back into the cell. The German and the French spy are impressed and ask him how he managed not to talk. The Italian spy says, well, I wanted to, but I couldn't move my hands. Anyway, you know. we're gonna look. Uh, if you oh. ever been to Italy, you know God. that, and it will resonate with you because they're very, very talkative with the hands. Uh, you know, babe. I, mean, I get it. Luck. I get it. Oh, do you? Oh, see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What do you call an Italian with a rubber toe? I have no idea. Roberto. Right. Uh, um. What do you want to do? My friend told me he was going to a fancy dress party uh, uh, as an Italian island. I said, don't be so silly. Um, right, let's get in there. What else have we got to talk to? <laughs> talk about Ryder Cup. I've got loads of jokes. I've got loads of Italian jokes. <laughs> Just stop with the jokes, man. Come on. All right, okay. Now, listen, I've, I've given you my overall score. I've heard your ridiculous score. I'm going to I'm gonna go with... Um, inter- There's a market out there which is top rookie, right? And this might oh, be a bit don't. of a surprise to you, right? But I'm going to go Sepp Straka. <laughs> I am. I, I expect Sepp Straka to play at least two, maybe three of the pairs match. I really do. I mean, I, think... I'm obviously crazy, okay. but yeah. No, no, no. But, but, yeah. No, you're not, you're, you're not crazy. I don't think you're crazy. I think it's... Um... It's a bit of a dodgy market, that, obviously, because I think Donald will play Aberg quite a lot. I think he's forced to. I think he's he's talked so much. He's talked this lad up so much that he can't just play him in a couple of matches. Because if we lose and he plays him in a couple of matches, being so gung-ho about this guy, I've been following him for ages, like Nostradamus and old Russell Jones. Um, because that, that was Not Russell Brand. No, no, no. Russell Jones is not Russell Brand. We don't want him to be um, confused with each other. But he, he likes to come up with this, what's going to happen. And I love Russell's a bit, and he's great. If you follow him on social media, then he's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of entertainment there. But I don't think Lou Donald is not going to play Aberg. I think, I think he'll play him in, yeah. I think he'll play him in the, I think he'll play him in the foursomes and the four balls. And I think you'll play him in the four balls. And I, so I think Aberg will play four matches. So I think it's very hard for another European rookie to to perhaps have a chance to beat the points. Well, of course, Aberg. he's got to go and win them. He might not win them all. He might play them, but he might not what win them. What do you them, mean? He, on... no, what do you mean? He's better than Ben Hogan, this fella. He's be, he's, he's going to win multiple majors. Everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen into yeah, the well, future, maybe, bro. Maybe that's reflective in your 17 and a half, 10, 10 and a half absolute crazy situation. No, I think we'll thrash yeah. them. I think, the, I think the Americans are shit. So <laughs> I, that's it. As you've said, have we just repeated the bit from earlier? On? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Anyway, uh, listen. Let's recap on it. <laughs> the Americans are shit. Top American point scorer for me is going to be Xander Schofle. 
Oh, interesting. I I disagree. I think it will be um, Patrick Cantley. You think it'll be Cantley, right? Okay. And top European for me, uh, hands down, it's going to be Tommy Fleetwood. Nah, John Rahm all day long. That guy won't. But that I got that he will draw the strength from Seve, um up in heaven, and he will get. He'll win every single game. He'll play every single match. He'll win every single game. I'm saying five points for John Rahm. Tom, Tommy Fleetwood's record is a 63% win rate on matches played in Ryder Cup since he started in 2018. John Rahm, 56%. Okay, so... No, he's fantastic. But if Fleetwood is paired with Hatton, it's going to drive him crazy. You know, the comparison between oh, players, Hatton, so. Hatton and Molinari, it's very different. I don't think they'll gel as much. But, yeah, I'm hoping so. I love Tommy Fleetwood. Do I ever? Well, they're my picks for this week anyway. And yeah, I can't wait for the uh, the Ryder Cup to start. Well, I, that, that's it. That's it. Let's just let's just get it on. Let's fast forward, everyone. Put it on times five play and um, let's get us to Friday quick. But yeah, best of luck to the Junior Ryder Cup team, um, Europe, who are playing, like I said before. You can follow that on Sky TV and Peacock if you're streaming it. Um, on Thursday for their singles. Good luck to them. Next week, we have one of my favourite tournaments, Graham, um, the Alfred Dunhill. Dunhill. Mm. Yeah, you know, King's Barnes, Canusti, St. Andrews, as always, for two rounds. On the PGA Tour, we have the Sandersons in Jackson, Mississippi. Wow, excited about that. Um, right, but that's it for this week. Um, mate, may Europe win. And can I can I leave you with one more um, a joke or not? Yeah, go on. One more before we close out. Come on. What do you call a Roman with a cold? I don't know. Julius Sneezer. And for me, it's goodbye. And for me, it's goodbye too. Get me out of here. <laughs> uh, this this really is beyond a joke now. He's he's, he's got Gaga because this is uh, this is quite. I've never seen anything like it before, and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness.